Welcome back to True Crime Trine, the podcast where the planets align and three friends talk about true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit they can fit into this podcast. We are your hosts, Hannah, Sarah, and Meredith. Welcome to episode 26. Before we dive right into this script that I'm probably going to butcher because I can't speak today. Any housekeeping? <laughs> I have one. We have one new country. Oh, yay! Welcome, Japan. Awesome! Yay! And even though I took like three years of Japanese and my grandmother is full-blooded Japanese, I don't know how to speak Japanese, so. Welcome! I wish I could speak more. I eat a lot, a lot of Japanese food. <laughs> yeah. Raw you fish, can say, seaweed, like, all the fish ramen. In Japanese. <laughs> yeah, I can I can put it in a sushi order. <laughs> I can't remember. I know like I think like good morning, I think is Ohio Gazimas, but I think that's about all I can remember. And I was president of <laughs> wow. the Japanese club in high school. But still, no, I did not retain any of that, sadly. Say Japanese so listener, sad. contact us and tell us if Meredith is correct. And that is yes. good morning or whatever. <laughs> I think it's good morning. And it, right now it's so. nighttime, so it's yes. fine. It might be morning when someone's listening to it, though. It might be. Fair enough. True. And I think they're nine hours different, so it's early. It should be early morning over there. Hmm. I never can keep time zones straight. I know, me neither. But that was it for our housekeeping. Yay! Okay, then. We're going to just jump right into it. Because it is spooky season! Woo! Yay! So, I thought we'd get super weird and cover a haunting. Love haunting. Yay! And it's my favorite kind of haunting, which is a historical haunting. I was going to say a cannibal haunting. Cannibals? A cannibal historical cannibal haunting. That would hit all the all the spots. But <laughs> we'll keep researching. Two for three at the moment. I haven't found my dream haunt, apparently. So we're going to go back, not as far as I took you back for uh, werewolves. We're going back to the 1800s. And not bad. we're going to learn about the Bell Witch haunting. Ooh. Bell Witch? And this... Bell Witch. Awesome. Like, ding, ding, ding. This bad boy is kind of a long script, so we'll see how long this episode is. And I've already talked for 50 minutes to a classroom, so I'm totally ready for this. All right. But the first part of this episode is primarily based on a book. So I guess that's my fourth favorite type of thing is something based on a book. Nice. The book is An Authenticated History of the Famous Bell Witch, written by Martin Ingram, and was published in 1894, wow. which was about 70 years after the main events of The Haunting. Oh, wow. Is this a good book? Question mark. Well. Well, <laughs> it was a book. <laughs> well. Is it a Libra of a book? No, this is a different kind of book. It was written in... 1894, and you can tell. So it definitely has that, like, maudlin, sentimental, very flowery flowery prose that you get in a lot of books from that era. Okay. I would definitely skip chapter five. Witchcraft of the Bible, opinion of Reverend John Wesley, Dr. Clark, and other distinguished divines and commentators. As if we want that their fucking opinion. was like a third <laughs> of the book, too. And I was like, Bleh. Sorry, crotchety old white men. We don't want to hear from you. <laughs> oh, this book was written by a crotchety old white man. But, oh, okay. Um, and by that, you should definitely skip chapter nine entitled Negro Story. <gasps> uh, yeah, no. Oh. No. No, thank you. And chapter 13 called Testimonials, which is just an entire chapter of letters from people who had lived in the area and were vouching for the trustworthiness of the eyewitnesses. Although all of those people are also dead now. Huh. I, it is it too much of It sounds like a book. popularity contest. It needed an editor. <laughs> Yeah. 
So skip five, nine, and 13. For sure. Martin Ingram, this author, he loves the Bell family. So I wouldn't say that it is an unbiased account. Not a single bad word will be said about the Bells. It is in the past. I don't know if they deserve a single bad word, but this is definitely like very, very nice. Uh, Martin himself grew up near the Bell farmstead, but had not been born at the time of the haunting. Although he did make contact with some of the Bell children and other eyewitnesses of the time when he was putting together his account. The most interesting part of the book is chapter 7, Our Family Trouble, uh, which was written by Williams Bell, who had been a child at the time of the haunting, and decided to write down his account and recollections about 25 years after it happened. The Bell family, the story got pretty big, and the Bell family had been long been plagued by people saying that this entire haunting had been per- perpetrated by the Bells themselves through some form of ventriloquism and other trickery. Ooh. Sounds like a Scooby-Doo kind of thing. I know. <laughs> Stay off our property. <laughs> Rot row. Or rip the sheet off the ghost and it's Williams. <laughs> and so kind of wrote, Williams kind of wrote this down to be the anti-story to that rumor. Um, after he wrote his account, he met with his immediate family. And by that, I mean only his brothers. I guess his sister didn't get to have a say, even though Betsy was the one that was haunted the most. Oh, And at the time, they decided not to publish due to, quote, good reasons than existing. (laughs) Don't know what that, don't know what those are. And so they wanted to wait until all members of the Bell family who were involved in the haunting were dead. Which is why this account didn't come to light until 1894, when Williams' son agreed to let Martin Ingram publish it. Okay. So, we jump back 90 years from the publishing of this book, 1804... The Bell family moves from North Carolina to the town of Adams, Tennessee, uh, where they quickly became a prosperous and well-respected family in the community. Mr. Ingram takes great pains to let the reader know that John Bell, the patriarch, was a fine, upstanding man who, quote, his commanding appearance, steadfast qualities, and force of character at once gave him rank and influence in the community, end quote. And that Lucy Bell, the matriarch, model mother, quote, ruling her children with the glowing passion of a tender mother's heart, end quote. There's going to be a lot of quotes because I just love these so much. That's awesome. I roll mine with an iron fist and a leopard house coat, but whatever, Lucy. <laughs> And whatever, Mr. Ingram. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> the Bells had seven children. Damn. Pop, pop, popping them out. Seven boys and two girls. Jesse, John Jr., Drury, Benjamin, Esther, Zadok, Betsy, wow. Williams, and Joel. So a couple weird names thrown in there. Zadok. Zade- I also like Drury. D-R-E-W-R-Y. It's really hard to say. <laughs> That was the yeah, Drury Lane the again. Detective. Yeah. Do you know the Muffin Man? Is the same thing. Okay. Drury. I guess so. Hard to say. Detective Jury from That's right. The Lulu Lemon episode. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I have been wor- I was in lab yesterday for 15 hours. I've and I haven't listened to the episode and yet. And it's a hard name to say out loud. It's fine. And it, it it's is. super hard to say out loud, especially when you already have a mouthful of marbles. <laughs> I couldn't say it in that episode either. (laughs) (laughs) No one named their child Drury anymore. It's too hard. Thank you. So funny fact, now that you're saying this and it's in Adams, Tennessee, I'm pretty sure I went to visit this town (gasps) like long, long ago. Wait till the end then. Okay, I I will wait. (laughs) Because I will wrap it up in Adams, Tennessee in the present. Okay. I gotta look and see how close that is to my family. Oh, yeah. So when the family troubles began in 1817, Esther had married and moved out of the house, but the rest of the children were still living there with uh, John and Lucy. So the first instance of something amiss was when John Bell saw a strange animal in his cornfield. Uh, He couldn't be sure what it was, as it was stranger than any animal that he'd ever seen, but he decided that it wasn't a dog, so he shot at it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Which is an uh, investigation in 1817, I guess. <laughs> that's that's how you do things, I guess. A few days later, John's son, goddamn Drury, saw his own <laughs> strange animal 
which looked more like a wild turkey or some kind of other bird. But as he inched closer, because he also wanted to shoot it, the strange bird ran away. Nope, it flew away. It had wings. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a roadrunner. No. Leaving Drury certain that this was no wild turkey, but some kind of bird that he had never seen before, of extraordinary size. A phoenix. Oh, maybe. Hmm. This wasn't too concerning. No one was staying up all night worrying about some strange animals you may or may not have seen. Then the weird happenings moved into the house itself. Uh Uh-oh. The first instance occurred at night in William's and Joel's bedroom. Uh, Then they woke into the sound of gnawing on their bedpost. And so they immediately thought there was a rat in the room. But as soon as they got up and tried to kill it, little lamp or whatever, the noises ceased. And when they were examining the bedpost, they couldn't see any chewing marks. And then Hmm. as soon as they snuffed the the lamps out, the noises started again and then moved into Betsy's room who was 12 years old at the time. Let that candle burn, people. Uh, Yeah. And not a single rat nor a rat entrance into the room could be found. And soon the noises were accompanied by something ripping the bedding off of the (gasps) bells while they were asleep. No, thanks. Hard pass. The noises also diversified, and the bells began hearing the smacking of lips, which Sarah would hate. Oh, God, no. It's like worse than anything. Oh, no. No, no. A gulping sound. No. And a sound like someone choking. Those are my interpretations. (laughs) The choking I can deal with. The the lip smacking saliva sounds. (laughs) I I will leave. (laughs) Yeah. No, thank you. Well, the bells didn't. And this would happen night in and night out, especially between 1 and 3 a.m. And the bells were eventually starting to be very negatively impacted by this interruption of their sleep uh yeah and as a mom i will say that anything that interrupts your sleep like my sweet daughter (laughs) who interrupted my sleep for 10 months ah yes it really takes its toll you can't ever really catch up on sleep no no and these were a farming family so i assume they're up at the crack of dawn they're already tired anyway i know and they can't sleep between one and three which is an important time to sleep for a farmer i'm not a farmer but i assume so you guys ever have you guys ever gone on to uh, farmers only? No, no. <laughs> what is that? Have I ever told you this story? Of... It's another dating for site. farmers. This is when I was living up in Washington, and so I had gone out with some friends to a trivia night, and I met like a friend of a friend. It was the first time I'd ever met him, and so we were. We were doing the trivia. There's a TV on the background. Commercial came on for farmers only, and I was just like, "Why the fuck would there be a?" A dating site for farmers only. And the new guy was like, I'm a farmer. <laughs> right, but as a farmer, do you only ever want to go out? I mean, I guess it makes sense for the lifestyle, but. It's not like two farmers coming together. It's someone that wants to live that farmer's wife lifestyle. Oh. So lots of cooking and cleaning and homestead uh, keeping. Yeah. Like. Uh, and milking of cows. What's that woman? I mean, if the you're pioneer... a dairy farmer. Oh, the pioneer woman. The pioneer woman, woman has monopolize that into something very lucrative in the modern age. I yeah. I could definitely live that cottage core kind of lifestyle. <laughs> I just won't wake up at five. Goodbye, sweet husband. I'll see you at two. I'll wake up with the birds. <laughs> the giant fowl that is like no other bird you've ever seen. Maybe it was a thunderbird. <laughs> oh. Well, Native Americans will also endure the story in a little bit. Oh, cool. So... Eventually, the spirit moved beyond just pulling off the sheets to physically assaulting the bells, such as the time when Williams was yanked out of bed by his hair. Oh. Ouch. No. Yes. That's creepy. So at first, the bells kept these weird occurrences to themselves. You don't want to be the weird family on the block. Yeah. Yeah, People will think you're going crazy. Probably, especially in 18, whenever. When were the witch trials? That's 1692. Okay. But at the time, early 1800s, it was still fairly, a lot of people were still fairly superstitious. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So a, a good ghost story could have a lot of, like, belief behind it. Oh, yeah. Uh, at this point, though, things had gotten so bad that John Bell reached out to his neighbor, Mr. James Johnson, for help. Uh, James came to spend the night to see if he could help the Bells figure out what was going on. He began the night by praying fervently to God... 
that God would reveal the source of this disturbance. But as soon as everyone went to sleep, the disturbance commenced. It didn't work. I know. I know. (laughs) And as if to impress James Johnson, the spirit went through all its greatest hits. Nine, scratching, knocking, pulling off bed covers, etc., etc. More lip smacking, well, I'm hopefully sure. Hopefully they pulled off his covers and left, gave the bells a, a rest for the night. <laughs> uh, James Johnson did what he could, which is basically nothing. But he asked the spirit, in the name of the Lord, what or who are you? What do you want and why are you here? Good questions. This seemed to stump the spirit for a while, but it never ended up answering and went back to being annoying after. Like, what am i i don't know here <laughs> about, i want your blanket too philosophical for me <laughs> why am i <laughs> you're not asking the right questions james <laughs> yeah in the morning james johnson told the bells that whatever was happening here was way beyond the scope of his knowledge sure. which duh, i think he was just a farmer uh, but he did think that this was a supernatural event with an intelligent spirit as the spirit seemed to understand English and had stopped being annoying when it was spoken to. Okay. So John Bell, the father, and Betsy Bell, the 12-year-old daughter, were especially targeted by the spirit. Betsy was even slapped in the face, oh, leaving what? behind a clear red impression of a handprint <gasps> on her cheek. Oh my god. No. And her parents obviously became quite concerned, and so they tried to give Betsy some peace and would send her to spend the night with the neighbors, but the spirit wasn't tethered to the house itself, so it would follow Betsy (gasps) and torment her wherever she went. Is there anything saying how big the handprint was? Like if it was like adult handprint or child's handprint? No. I'd assume it would run towards adult based on what they thought the spirit ended up being. Uh, The spirit also seemed to have the ability to be in two places at once, as the rest of the bells, left behind on the homestead, were also tormented by the spirit, whether or not Betsy was present. No rest for the wicked. Twins. Creepy twins in a hallway. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) A word spread about this strange phenomenon, and visitors began to come to the bell farm to try to see these disturbances for themselves. They also began to ask the spirit questions, and the spirit uh, began to learn how to talk. First in a whistling tone, then to a whisper, then to a full-throated voice. And when asked, who are you and what do you want, for another time, the reply came, I am a spirit. I was once very happy, but have been disturbed. (laughs) The question askers asked, how were you disturbed, and what makes you unhappy? And the spirit replied, I am the spirit of a person who was buried in the woods nearby, and the grave has been disturbed, my bones disinterred and scattered, and one of my teeth was lost under this house, and I'm here looking for my tooth. Oh, wow. No. Is that what the scraping was, you think? Uh, maybe. Ooh. Oh. Well, this joggled a memory for the bells of an event that happened about three to four years earlier. And so while clearing some of the land, John Bell had come across a small mound of graves that appeared to be an Indian burial ground. You never touch those. no. Well, you know, back in 1812, Indians weren't people, so... They didn't have archaeological and historical preservation. I mean, even superstitions, you don't touch those. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, jewelry again. Motherfucking jewelry. (laughs) told one of his friends about this discovery and they decided to go dig up the graves to see if any Indian relics had been buried with the bodies. Okay, not a wise idea, Drury. Drury and dumbass friend? Ah, man. Boys were dumbasses in all centuries. (laughs) (laughs) They did not find any relics, uh, but they didn't want to return home empty-handed, so Drury's friend brought a jawbone back to the farmhouse. No. Uh, for some reason, while examining it, he decided to throw it against a wall. What? Which jarred, what? A, broke which jarred a tooth loose, uh, which fell through a crack in the floor. Oh. oh, no. John Bell expressed his fatherly disapproval at the time, and uh, the jawbone was brought back to the burial site. But at the spirit's proclamation, they realized that they'd never retrieved the tooth. Pull up those so the, floorboards. That's what they totally did. They <laughs> tore up a portion of the floor. Oh they my started God. sifting through the dirt, but they did not recover a tooth. 
And after they went through all this effort, the spirit started to laugh uproariously, saying that this whole story was just a joke on old Jack, which is how the spirit referred to John Bell and whom the spirit appeared to hate with all of his being. Okay. So practical joke. John Bell's the worst, apparently. Once the spirit found its voice, it proved to have an extensive knowledge of Christianity. The spirit could sing any song from the hymn book and quote any Bible verse. Huh. Uh, if someone misquoted a biblical passage, they would be quickly corrected by the spirit. By like what? Another handprint? <laughs> <laughs> I think th- I think it talking. That's so creepy. Just like, no, no, no. Go back. It was this word. You secular <laughs> fool. Um... <laughs> Visitors to the house to view the phenomenon would quiz the spirit by opening up a Bible to random pages and just asking the spirit to recite a sort of random verse, and the spirit would accurately comply as quickly as it took to flip from one page to the other. Oh my god. Uh. It also seemed to enjoy attending Bible studies and church sermons, and was especially fond of Bible meetings led by Mr. James Johnson who was the neighbor that the Bells had first admitted these happenings to and who had come over and had no answers. So no likey of John Bell, but... Likey, likey. Likey, likey of of Mr. Jim Johnson. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, Jim is another name for James. It is, and we got another name because the spirit thought so highly of James's preaching that it would refer to him as Old Sugar Mouth. (gasps) (gasps) Ew! Ew. Got that sweet tongue. Ew. Oh, God. Have we determined if it's a male or a female ghost yet? Nope. Okay. The spirit could also travel through the countryside much faster than an organic human could. Organic. So back okay. to dolls. Inorganic spirit. <laughs> it was quite the gossip and would keep the bells informed on all of the going-ons occurring in the community. Um, I kind of like that. I know. I love gossip so much. I would love this part. Old man Jenkins down the road is cheating on his wife right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this led to people asking the spirit what was happening at a certain neighbor's house or whatnot. And if the spirit didn't know, it would say, I don't know. Wait a minute and I will go and see. And within about five minutes, it would be back with the most up-to-date information, which was usually verified. No And way. one example here was when the spirit was the first to announce the birth of a child. <gasps> wow! Yeah! I love this side of the spirit. Ugh, it's like gossip. it's a little gossip mill. Oh, oh it's, it's so, so good. Cute. Yes! See, this is the kind of thing like, okay, you know what? It's fine. We're friends now. Just don't wake me up so much and we can chill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. when I wake up, we'll have Bible study, you know? We'll gossip. You can go around gathering the gossip. Bring it back. And... I need to know. Yeah. That's awesome. But stop gnawing on the bed and pulling my fucking blanket off, bitch. <sighs> yeah, what the fuck, man? And as I said before, it could be in two places at once, as it very clearly demonstrated one Sunday afternoon. We're back to Methodist and Baptist again. Blah, 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 blah. Oh. So they're both there. So... Reverend James Gunn preached at the Methodist Church at the same time as Reverend Sugfort preached at the Baptist Church. And these (laughs) churches were at least six miles apart. And so in the afternoon, the spirit was back at the bells, regaling the visitors with the talking points of Reverend Gunn's sermon, which led one visitor to joke to Reverend Fort that he was safe for the moment, as there's no way the spirit would know anything about his sermons since the spirit had been busy attending Reverend Gunn's sermon at the time. And the spirit said, na na na, and started to quote (laughs) from Reverend Fort's sermon as well, saying it had been to both sermons and had heard both of them. Wow. Although it started off as a very Christian spirit, it soon devolved into more of a coarse, more vulgar type of spirit. <laughs> I mean, it already played a practical joke, made them tear up their own floorboards. Right. It's not even close to being done. Oh, no. To further showcase its supernatural powers, the spirit would also know the secrets of visitors who would come and visit from all around the state. And these were not members of the community, so it would have been extremely unlikely for any of the Bells to know anything about these people. On one occasion, a group of four arrived late at night and was let in by the Bells, who had become used to random visitors coming from all over, and would (laughs) let the visitors stay on the farmstead free of charge. They should have charged. I know. (laughs) They actually never did. They never made any money from this phenomenon. Wow. Okay. And... 
The fact that they never made any money has been used as further proof that the Bells were not behind the spirit as they literally yeah. got nothing from being in a family mm-hmm. with a ghost and they mostly suffered. Yeah. And had to replace their floor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As soon as this group of four entered the house, the, si- the spirit singled out one of them, called his name and said, quote, He is the grand rascal who stole his wife. He pulls her out of her father's house through a window and hurt her arm, making her cry. Then he whispered to her, hush, honey, don't cry. It will soon get well. Wow. The man admitted that that was how his marriage occurred and everyone moved on. But I'm very concerned. Yeah. Wow. It was a terrible story. Just FYI, as far as small towns go, Adams, as of 2010, had 633 residents. Oh, baby town. It's a place you go to visit less than stay. But yeah. the people that live there definitely have the gossip. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so in the beginning, the spirit would speak with more of a kind of deep-throated but still feminine voice. Uh, but mm. as it got more and more comfortable, it introduced four new characters to the mix. Their names were Black Dog, Mathematics, Cryptography, and Jerusalem. <laughs> what? Wait, wait, wait. One more time. Black, Black Dog, Dog, Mathematics. Mathematics. Hypocrisy? Cypocrisy. Nope. It's oh. like cypocrisy. Cypocrisy? C-Y-P-O-C-R-Y-P-H-Y. Huh. And Jerusalem. Oh, okay. Black Dog was the head of the family. It would speak in a harsh feminine tone, while mathematics and cypocrisy had a more delicate tone. Uh, well, Jerusalem sounded like a young boy. Oh. Um, sometimes they would come together and sing as like a little choir group to the crowd around, but they much preferred to fight each other. <laughs> uh, oh, Lord. Using obscene language and violent threats until Black Dog would intercede as the peacemaker. This foursome did not appear very often, though, and the spirit most usually assumed the character of a single woman. Okay. Hmm. Sometimes the spirit would go visit the neighbors. If you think it liked James Johnson, it especially liked William Porter, uh, who would often come to the bell house and would chat with the spirit. William was a bachelor and lived alone, and one night after he got into bed, he heard scratching and thumping around the bed before the covers were pulled open, and the spirit spoke, quote, Billy, I have come to sleep with you and keep you warm. Probably not in that tone, but it's fun. Uh... It might as well have been. Yeah. Well, William Porter was pretty blasé about the whole thing and said, well, if you're going to sleep with me, you have to behave yourself. <laughs> okay. It's interesting that it's interested in people with names like Johnson and Willie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is either this is definitely a female or a gay spirit. All about that pain. Well, the spirit did not comply and was back to one of its favorite activities, which was ripping the sheets off of the beds. So a tug of war ensued, <laughs> and William was able to get the upper hand and wrap the spirit up in his bed sheet. And then he said, I've got you now, you rascal, and will burn you up. And so he picked oh, up no. this bundle and attempted to drag it to the fire. But with each step, the bundle became heavier, and this odor started emanating that just got horrible and horrible as he stepped. And it got Ugh. to the point where he could no longer even hold this bundle of sheets and dropped it on the floor. And when he caught his breath and went back to the bundle of sheets, he found that it was once again just a bundle of sheets with no unusual weight or smell. Huh. So it was just like... Like, the ghost had gas. I don't know. I just imagine the No, don't pick me up. I'm gassy. Don't touch me right now. God. I'm going to keep you warm with my farts. I was thinking, like, maybe it was able to tie itself back to its physical form that it was tied to on, like, the physical ground. It had some sort of physicality. Right. So, like, that was my thought was that it's, it's making itself difficult to carry. And in doing so, it also carried on, like, the stench of cadaverine or something with it. Which is totally possible. William Porter described it as the worst smell he'd ever smelled. Mm-hmm. This story may or may not be true, but I'm going to tell it anyway because I it. always do. <laughs> I'm so into this. This is hilarious. <laughs> the most famous visitor to the Bell household was Andrew Jackson. Oh, my God. Who would later oh. become the seventh president of the United States. Yes. Andrew Jackson had heard about the spirit and 
mostly thought it'd be super entertaining to bring a group of friends to investigate. Included in this group was a self-proclaimed witch hunter. Oh. Uh, the group had their first encounter with the spirit as they neared the bell house when the wagon suddenly stopped and... Even though the horses were straining and struggling, the wagon would not budge. Andrew Jackson made them even take every wheel off and investigate it. They were all in working order. They put the wheels back on. And Andrew Jackson declared, By the eternal boys, it is the witch. And a voice from the bushes replied, All right, General, let the wagon move. I will see you again tonight. And with that, the wagon began rolling again. And the group reached the farm with no more incidents. Wow. Oh my goodness. They wanted to stay up all night and wait for the spirit to make its appearance, which was occurring like clockwork at this point. Still between one and three, or? I think it just is coming every night. Okay. Uh, obviously, this witch hunter was a big mouth bragger and uh, <laughs> would just talking the whole time about how, oh, he'll clear this spirit. He's around. He'll get rid of it. He'll solve the problem. Andrew Jackson got a bit bored after a while listening to this man talk and whispered to a companion, I'll bet he's an errant coward. I do wish the thing would come. I want to see him run. <laughs> Immediately, the spirit responded, all right, general, I'm here and ready for business. Ooh. Ah! The spirit then goaded the witch hunter to shoot in the direction of the disembodied voice, but when the witch hunter pulled the trigger, the gun didn't fire. Ooh. Now it's my turn, you old hypocrite fraud, the spirit announced, and then began beating the man to the point where he toppled out of his chair, and then began running scared around the room, exclaiming, Oh lordy, the devil has me by the nose! He's pulling my nose off! Oh my gosh. The witch hunter ran out the front door, down the road, <laughs> yelling the whole time, and he did not return. And this caused Andrew Jackson to have a laughing fit. And yeah, this is one of the few positions that I agree with Andrew Jackson on because this shit is fucking hilarious. That would have been so yeah, funny. Andrew Jackson had had such a fun night that he wanted to stay for at least a week. But the rest of the group persuaded him to leave the next morning. They're like, dude, we got places to go. Yeah, I mean, I think they were like in the military at the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, there's probably like some Indians to slaughter. They, yeah, I know. Andrew Jackson's a piece of shit. But this was a funny story. Yeah, no, this is a great story. The majority of interactions were with the Bells, though. The spirit was extremely fond of Lucy Bell, who was the matriarch. In September of 1820, scroll up real fast, I think that's like three years after it had first started showing up. Yeah, 1817. So in September of 1820, when the spirit had been showing up for at least three years, uh, Lucy came down with pleurisy and was bedridden and extremely ill, mm -hmm. which distressed the spirit immensely. Aww. And the spirit would softly say, Luce, poor Luce, I'm so sorry you are sick. Don't you feel better, Luce? What can I do for you, Luce? Oh, it has empathy. I know. If Lucy asked for something, the spirit would promptly tell the people in the room exactly where that object could be found. So doing its Aww. part to help Lucy through her silk sickness. But Lucy became sicker and sicker Aww. and lost her appetite and got to a point where she was in a very serious condition. Aww. And so one afternoon, the spirit said, Luce, poor Luce. How do you feel now? Hold out your hands, Luce, and I will give you something. And Lucy held out her hands, and hazelnuts fell into her hands. Hazelnuts. hazelnuts. There were no hazelnuts in the house, but there were hazelnuts growing in the countryside, which the spirit would have had to go and collect. Aww. Aww. Do hazelnuts have medicinal purposes? I think they just brought them for food, because when Lucy okay. did not eat the hazelnuts, the spirit asked what was wrong, and Lucy said she was too weak to crack them. Well, I will crack some for you. Oh! <laughs> and the sound of cracking filled the room, and the nuts in Lucy's hands went from uncracked to cracked. Oh! And on another gosh. occasion, the spirit brought a bunch of grapes to Lucy, which were just dropped right into her lap in the presence of witnesses, because she had these friends around her sickbed at the time. And after the delivery of hazelnuts and grapes, Lucy finally recovered from her life-threatening illness. So maybe hazelnuts do have some medicinal properties. I don't know. All right. The spirit was not so kind to John Bell, the patriarch. Oh. Yeah. In fact, it seemed that one of the main driving forces of the spirit was to torture John and would express how fully 
utterly, completely it hated John and how it was going to kill him eventually. Well, at least he got warned, I guess. Was he mean to his family or like... According to his son, so in this account, John was a very good man. I'm going to quote from the book. This is the son speaking. I would be untrue to myself and my parentage should I fail to state boldly that John Bell was a man every inch of him and in every sense of the term. I know... Ew! No man was ever more faithful and swift in the discharge of every duty to his family, to his church, to his neighbors, to his fellow man, and to his God. In the fullness of his capacity, and that faith led him to love and accept Christ as Savior. Still, he could beat his I know. family, though. They really had a way of putting things back in the 1800s, too. As long as you keep going to church, you know, it doesn't matter how often you beat your wife. I mean, this was yeah. his son writing it. Who was raised in the same household. Probably so. also wouldn't want to say anything. Well, I don't know. Hmm. You either would like to expose your father for being an asshole or not. Anyway. Depends on what you have to gain in the will. Yeah. Well, John was already dead by this point. Oh. oh this was written right, 25 was like... years later. Oh, that's okay. right. Okay. Uh, so the torments of John Bell began with a curious sensation in his mouth, as if a stick had been inserted crosswise. So it was like poking <laughs> his cheeks. Uh, this ghost witch whatever is just a G. I know, creative AF. Yeah. I'm probably going to slip and say spirit or witch. Okay. At first, this only happened occasionally, wouldn't last very long, and it wouldn't cause pain, but as usual, the spirit escalated to the point where John's tongue would swell so large that it would press against his jaw and prevent him from talking and eating. (laughs) And these spells could last up to two days. Shut up or I'll make you. I know. John also began experiencing contortions on his face, which were clearly visible to those around him. Like, just like, like twitches, I guess. Yeah. Or, okay. The frequency of these contortions and swellings increased to the point where John Bell scarcely had a day of good health before being struck down by another swollen tongue incident or whatnot. Wow. Oh. After a particularly brutal spell where John was laid up in bed for a week, he recovered and he and his son went out to start work on the farm. However, they had not gotten very far from the house when John's shoes were suddenly jerked off of his feet. (laughs) The shoes were put back on and tied very securely, only for them to jerk off again at the next step. Oh, wow. Then John was hit in the face with such a powerful blow that he almost passed out and he had to sit down. Did it knock out a tooth? (laughs) No, but it really should have. Tooth for a tooth. It used to go slap jewelry. At this point, John lost all hope and told his son, Oh, my son, my son, not long will you have a father to wait on so patiently. I cannot much longer survive the prosecutions of this terrible thing. It is killing me by slow torture, and I feel the end is nigh. And they returned to the house where John got back in his bed and would never leave the house again. Oh, no. And his prediction of impending doom came to pass a few weeks later, when John did not wake up at his usual time, and the family noticed that he was in a very, like, fitful sleep. It was also very deep sleep, and so the family could not wake him up by calling his name or by shaking him. (laughs) One of the sons went to the cupboard to get some medicine to revive him, but he found the cupboard was empty of all the medicine that had been there before, and the only thing in the cabinet was this single smoky vial that was about (laughs) two-thirds full of some unknown liquid, and none of them had ever seen it before. Ooh, our snake. Yeah. And then the spirit joyfully announced, it's useless for you to try and relieve old Jack. I got him this time. He will never get up from that bed again. Well. And when well. asked about the smoky vial, the spirit responded, I put it there and gave old Jack a big dose out of it last night while he was asleep, which fixed him. Ooh. And it did. Uh, John never woke up from this stupor and died two days later. Oh. This is my least favorite part of the story. When they tested the contents of the vial on a cat, the cat died within minutes. No. No, 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 no. And then they tried to dispose of the vial and all of its contents by throwing it into the fire. Because that's what you do with things you don't want. Burn it. So, you know. We don't know what it was. It was never tested. (laughs) So after John's death, the spirit's anger and fury dissipated as it had accomplished one of its main objectives. However, the spirit had a second objective as well. 
And while John Bell was being tormented and was still alive, at the same time, his young teenage daughter, Betsy Bell, was also being afflicted by the spirit. Hmm. And she was the only daughter? She was the only daughter in the home. Oh, yeah, that's right, because the other one moved, got mm-hmm. married and moved out. The spirit did not hate Betsy and often said that it loved Betsy, but... Actions speak louder than words. Got a weird way of showing it. And her brother described (laughs) it as such. Quote, The spirit never did it cease to practice upon her fears, insult her modesty, stick pins in her body, (gasps) pinching and bruising her flesh, slapping her cheeks, disheveling and tangling her hair, tormenting her in many ways until she surrendered that most cherished hope which animates every young heart. Oh, Jesus. Well, what is that most cherished hope that animates every young heart? Her virginity? This was like 1812, 1815. It's marriage. Oh. It's marriage. Even when you're only 15 years old. I mean, virginity and marriage are the same thing back then. I guess so. Yeah, kind of. I'm pretty sure her brother wasn't writing about her pop under cherry. (laughs) Yeah. So, she's 15 years old. Don't worry about it. Time to get married. Oh, she's, yeah, she's old then. Her brother did say one thing and described her as being symmetrical in form. You know, that's a big deal. Symmetry is important, actually, Mm -hmm. because it actually is kind of an indicator of health status, but we don't have to get into that. She was very popular. She was apparently very beautiful. She was also, you know, very lively and fun to be around. When the spirit was Yes. Antagonizing her? She definitely uh, quieted down a bit while the spirit was around. So at the age of 15, Betsy turned her affections to Joshua Gardner, a boy that she had known since they had started school. And they both professed to be quite in love with each other. AKA they've said like three sentences. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, fast. (laughs) Like how things went. Before she's 16. Yeah. uh, The spirit did not approve. And in a soft and melancholy voice would beg, please, Betsy Bell. Don't have Joshua Gardner. Please, Betsy Bell, don't marry Joshua Gardner. That will surely bring you a life of pain and misery. End quote. And so repeat that to Betsy all the time when Josh was around as well. So Josh got to hear it too. He's like, man, this girl's haunted. That's some baggage I'm not (laughs) ready to carry with her. Yeah, so the spirit would not explain why Betsy should not marry Joshua. And the entire community was very wrapped up in this and very perplexed as Joshua was, quote, handsome and gracious, well-educated, intelligent and entertaining, high-spirited, industrious and energetic, and noted for his strict moral character, probably a virgin, mm-hmm. and pleasing deportment. He was highly connected and possessed sufficient means for a good start in life. And he did seem to be a pretty good dude. He remained quite devoted to Betsy, even though this disembodied voice kept telling him to leave. And he stayed by her side through it all while Betsy had to endure those torments from the witch physically assaulting her. Her father died. And then Mm -hmm. just this constant beseeching of the witch that she should leave him. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to make your own decisions, but then you've got somebody like literally like telling you what to do all the time. (laughs) And poking you with needles when you don't comply. And you already even know who the fuck it is. And they won't tell you why. They won't tell you why? Or why they care? Yeah. After John Bell's death, the spirit had quieted down quite a bit, which eased the stress on this young couple, and so Joshua proposed. Betsy accepted, but was not sure whether the spirit had left, so they, quote, decided to prolong the engagement and await further developments, hoping that the mystery might be solved or the witch would disappear, leaving them in the full enjoyment of each other's love and all of their sweet anticipations of interrupted happiness, i.e. they could bang. Yeah, because uh, what happens <laughs> if you're trying to have a nice wedding night and the ghost is like hey full enjoyment of each other's love that's banging oh yeah <laughs> the ghost is like now i'm gonna do more than pull the bed sheets off next pull time you want to have off. sex with someone ask them if they want to feel the full enjoyment of your love <laughs> or the sweet anticipation of uninterrupted happiness <laughs> Betsy was probably right to wait a little bit. The spirit still did show up eventually, occasionally, and would still plead with Betsy, don't have Joshua Gardner, and would talk of all these ominous premonitions of her future that she would have if she did marry him. And Betsy eventually broke off the engagement. I was like, maybe the ghost, or maybe it knows that, like, they're cousins accidentally or something. Oh, gross. 
Yeah. Like, if it knows all the the town goss. Yeah. Oh. Well. Good point. Betsy was convinced that the spirit would never leave her alone, and she felt like it would be an injustice to Joshua to tie him to this kind of life. Joshua took it passionately, but, you know, gentlemanly, saying, quote, Betsy, my love, my adoration of my soul, the long hope of my life, this is the bitterest draught of all, but for your sake, I drink to the dregs, releasing you from the promise which I know was earnest. This would also be a hilarious way to break off an engagement that you didn't actually really want. (laughs) There's a ghost haunting me we can't screw. I'm really sorry. You know, uh, Joshua Gardner moved a... to West Tennessee a few days later, and Betsy and Joshua never saw each other again. Oh, man. Uh, having accomplished its second objective, the spirit tried to comfort Betsy. Probably didn't work super well. So the spirit then bid the family goodbye, leaving them with a quiet house and a promise that it would return for a visit in seven years. <laughs> oh, that's ominous. Uh, the following year, after the spirit's first departure, Betsy Bell married Professor Richard Powell, who was kind of a creep. And we'll oh. get into that now. Oh. <laughs> to start with. Richard Powell had been Betsy's teacher for four years. No. no. And would very often, probably way too often, tell Lucy Bell what a bright, sweet girl she had. Oh, pervy dick. Pervy dick. About the same time (laughs) as the haunting began, Dick resigned and went into politics. And so he was no longer really in the town hanging around the Bells very much at that point. However, he was back in town for a day of fishing and picnicking that the youths were having. Somehow he went. He's not a youth, but he still went. Yeah, I'll be a chaperone. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I always trust a dick chaperone. Ugh. And at this point, Betsy and Joshua's engagement had been announced, so he did know of this. And before Dick left at the end of the day, he made sure to single Betsy out for some compliments, uh, telling her that she had grown up to be so much more beautiful and charming than he had ever dreamed of when he used to dote on her so much when she was in school. Ew. Groomer. Just as I always told your mother, Miss Betsy, that you were the brightest and smartest girl in school when she declared I would spoil you. He also congratulated her on her recent engagement, saying, quote, This is a real bad one. Josh is a fine fellow. I have heard that you and Josh were about to make a match, and I shall wish you much happiness and prosperity. That boy could never help loving you, and I never did blame him, as you were my little pet also. And I waited almost as patiently as did Jacob for Rachel, hoping that you and Josh might forget that young school day love. I have been disappointed, and now my request is to be at the wedding. I want to be present when you wed, little pet. Uh and golly gee, he was. Oh my god. Because they got married. <laughs> she she married Dick. Yeah. Who's Jacob and Rachel? In the Bible. Uh... Bible. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yes. Patience. He worked for like seven years and then got tricked into marrying Leah. And he's like, fuck Leah. Leah's disgusting. And works for seven more years so he could marry uh, Rachel. But Okay. Seven years later, the spirit did return, March 1928, where it made a series of predictions to John Bell Jr., which included the Civil War, where it said, The darkest hour in the history of the United States will come when the nation divides in two with brother going to war against brother, but the result of the war will be the freedom of the Negro slave. Also wow. hit World War One, saying, A great wow. war, which will likely involve nearly the whole world, will occur. The Great Depression, as a result of that Damn. war, the United States will suffer morally, financially, spiritually, and thousands actually will suffer from want of the necessities of life. And World War II, the next war, will be far more devastating and fearful in character than the one the world thought too terrible for the mind to grasp. Wow. And this was all written, like, prior to these events even ever happening, too. The spirit visited in 1820 and supposedly told them that. Right. But when were when was the book written? 25 years later, which might still have been before the Civil War. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But if anything, that's, that's still... the only thing he would have known of. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the spirit also predicted the rise of the United States as a world superpower, uh, but warned <laughs> that if we did not heed lessons from history, the United States would suffer the same fall as Rome. Hmm. It wow. went on a side tangent about the lost continent of atlantis for a while that's pretty cool i like to think about atlantis every now and then and um 
but then it wrapped it up with the final destruction of planet Earth, which will go as so. Quote, well, portions of the Earth were capable of being inhabited after the Great Flood. The next destruction of Earth civilizations will come by fire, rendering it uninhabitable. That's too close to home considering California has been on fire for a while. Well, and some people yeah. think that could refer to nuclear annihilation. Oh, shit. Okay. And glacier melts. And so after oh it let, dropped that bomb, the spirit pieced out for good. Like, mic drop. Fucking, there you go. Now you know. So what if this spirit, like, just knew that whatever it was going to be able to do, the little changes that it was trying to make was like butterfly effect with this Bell family? Oh, man. No good reason not to marry Joshua. Just please don't because something's going to happen and it's going to set everything in motion. Yeah, but she did it and the Civil War, World War One, the Great Depression, World War Two, all happened. Right. So then it's like, well, fuck. I'm just going to at least issue a warning. <laughs> well... That brings us to the real question. What was this spirit? A time traveler. Obviously, this was quite a fascinating topic in the community, and there was much discussion between the townsfolk as to what the origin of the witch was. Finally, Reverend James Gunn very earnestly asked the spirit who it was and or where it came from. Quote, the witch replied, saying that Brother Gunn had put the question in a way that it could no longer be evaded, and it would not do to tell the preacher a flat lie, and that the plain truth must be known, it was nobody else and nothing but old Kate Batts's witch, determined to torment old Jake Bell out of his life. Like, did they have a relationship or something? Well... Kate Batts lived in the community and was known as a local character. And my favorite story about Kate Batts occurred at church. So Kate was a very devout church member, but she did like to arrive fashionably late. So one session, church, is that what you call church? One session? <laughs> like therapy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Turned more into a revival type of session. And Joe Edwards felt the prickling of his conscience and was at the front of the church, praying and humbling himself before the Lord. And all the church members had stood up and were circled around Joe and were very supportive, as Joe was somehow described as being both a good citizen and a desperately wicked and undone sinner. Oh. (laughs) Kate showed up late as usual and was met with this sight of the church in this very excited state. And taking the situation in hand, Kate marched over and sat right down on Joe Edwards' back. And Joe couldn't see what's happening, and he yelled out, Oh, I'm sinking! I'm sinking! Oh, take my burden, Jesus, and make the devil turn me loose, or I will go down, down, and be lost forever in torment! Oh, save me! Save me, blessed Lord! Another aspect of Kate's character was that she loved to use big words, even if she didn't quite know what they meant. So when the minister, when awesome. the minister asked Kate to get up, Kate politely declined, No, I thank you. This is so consoling to my disposition that I feel amply corrugated. <laughs> corrugated. (laughs) The minister again asked Kate to move as she was starting to suffocate the confessing sinner, to which Kate (laughs) replied, Oh, that don't disperse my perspicuity. I'm a very plain woman and do love to homigate near the altar where the Lord am making conjunction among the sinners. That uh, particular church service never quite recovered its original gravitas. On a more serious note, I think the majority of the reason why people, probably i.e. men, thought Kate was a character was because Kate's husband was an invalid and so Kate was in charge of all the business matter of the farm. And so the men thought Kate was headstrong and exacting in her dealings. (laughs) Oh, so she's just... She's just a bitch, you know? Yeah. Yeah, she's just taking care of business. And they don't like her for that. And they also called her extremely suspicious and always thinking that someone was trying to beat her out of something, which uh, on Kate's side may not have been far from the truth. If she was the only like woman in charge of like a farming business and all the men in town didn't like it, then I'm sure they gave her some sort of competition. And yeah, I don't think they were nice and they definitely didn't like to see it. She wasn't necessarily very nice either, though, so she made a very convenient scapegoat. Uh, so when the spirit declared that it was old Kate Batts's witch, many people found that completely plausible. 
She did have a weird habit of always asking for a brass pin from any woman that she met, and the superstitious saw that as her collecting some small possession that she could use her witchy ways upon, which would then give her power over the pin donor. Ooh. Mm. A neighborhood girl told the story of when she had been churning milk for more than two hours with nary an appearance of any butter. This was definitely because of the witch, not because she was bad at churning. And so, in order in order to determine who the witch was, this girl stuck an iron poker in the fire and then stuck the hot poker into the quote-unquote bewitched milk. And this girl already suspected Kate Bats, so she made up a reason to visit Kate, where she found Kate tending to a badly listered hand, <gasps> and which Kate explained by saying that she had a bit of a spaced out moment and accidentally grabbed a poker by the hot end. <gasps> Uh-huh. How do you even do that? There's one end in the fire and, and one end keep out. Holding How do you it? grab the wrong end? Personality-wise, the spirit and Kate both strongly disliked black people, who were still slaves at the time and had enough troubles without Kate and the spirit picking on them. Of course. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, and I'm just going to gloss over the interactions that the slaves had with the spirit because hot damn, that chapter was a mess and very hard to read. Yeah, you said skip that yeah. one. It was written by a white man in the South shortly after the yeah. Civil War. No. Ugh. Pass. Hard pass. Mm-hmm. Kate Batts had had a business dealing with John Bell at one point, and Kate felt that she had ended up with the bad end of the bargain. Okay. And she was definitely the type to hold a grudge. And so even though that deal had happened years earlier, she still had it warmed up to John Bell and would tell neighbors that she would get even with him eventually. Being accused of being behind the haunting and torments at the Bell house did not make Kate any nicer. And when the story first came out, Kate was furious and investigated the neighborhood for about a month, trying to find the quote, core agenda who dared to splavicate her character with the spirification of John Bell's witch. She would show him the perspicuity and the constipation of the law. <laughs> the constipation of the law. She never did find the person who started the rumor. We never got to the constipation of the law part. I do like perspicuity. It's a good word. That is a good word, mm-hmm. but the constipation of the law is hilarious. It's hilarious. As for Betsy, even though she did not marry Joshua Gardner, in the end, her life doesn't sound like it went super great. Uh, She lived to the age of 82, but she also suffered a great deal of hardship over that lifespan. Hmm. Early in the marriage, Dick and Betsy, probably mostly Dick, invested most of their money in some sort of cargo shipment scheme down to New Orleans. I don't know what the business was. Unfortunately, that cargo ship sank and the powers never recovered financially. Oh, no. While still relatively young, Dick Powell had a stroke that left him permanently disabled. And he also died fairly young after 17 years of marriage. Not sure whether that was pro or con. I'm not sure how I feel about Dick Powell. Yeah. But... Betsy remained a widow for the rest of her life, suffering from what the author very rudely stated as both poverty and morbid obesity. Oh. This man did not like women. In Martin Ingram, you're an asshole. Yeah. Betsy also lived long enough to bury many people close to her, including her father and her mother, her husband, seven of her siblings, and six of her eight children. Jesus. And four of her children died in childhood due to illness or accident. That's hard. Kind of like Leonardo. I was just going to say. Yeah, yeah. it really is. One made it to adulthood only to be killed in the Civil War. I'll let you guess which side he was on. The South. Well, they're the South, yeah. (laughs) And then one died shortly after the war, which left only two of Bessie's eight children actually outlived her. So the other book I read was The Bell Witch, The Truth Exposed, which is a much more contemporary telling of the story. Is it good? Meh. <laughs> but <laughs> your facial expression said it all. But it does present an alternative theory for the Bell haunting and going into right. gossip mode. This theory Let's is that John Bell, the father, was molesting Betsy Bell, the daughter. Oh. And so the lines of thinking behind this theory include the fact that the spirit did not arrive on the scene until the eldest daughter had married and moved out of the house, which left 
Betsy alone in her bedroom. Mm -hmm. Betsy, like I said, was described as beautiful, and she was 12 when the spirit first appeared. Mm -hmm. Fun fact, Lucy Bell was also 12 when she was married to John Bell, who was 32 at the time. Ew. So he did have a thing for 12-year-olds. for 12-year-olds. Jeez. An age preference. (sighs) That's disgusting. John Bell was the most tortured member of the family, Mm -hmm. followed by Betsy, while the spirit completely doted on Lucy Bell, like maybe seeing her as like the poor betrayed wife. I don't know. Maybe. And really paid no attention to the rest of the bells. And there were a lot of them there. Yeah. Well, aside from ripping bed sheets uh, off yeah. of people. But, you know, she didn't expressly set out to murder any of them. Yeah. The original accounting of the haunting did say that the spirit did state the reason why it was torturing John Bell specifically, but no one ever actually wrote down what the spirit said. And what? the original accounts were written by the Bell family, who would just say that the spirit said there was a reason, but the spirit was lying, so let's move on. Mm. Yeah, that's also suspicious. In interesting is the idea that these like facial contortions and whatnot that John Bell suffered may have been consistent with a slow and gradual poisoning rather than one large dose of poison at the end. Oh. With interesting. Some will say and perhaps it was Betsy who was poisoning him. Huh. Okay. But it still doesn't account for the disembodied It really boys. doesn't account for almost any of it, but <laughs> So that then all came from The Bell Witch, The Truth Exposed. It was written by Camille Moffat with the assistance of Chris and Walter Kirby, who are the current owners of The Bell property. And I actually skipped over this point, this part of the story completely, but there was also a cave on The Bell property. And so at one point, a small boy had gotten lost inside and he was only found because the spirit was directing the searchers where to go to find the boy. Oh. Hmm. This cave still exists. Sarah, Meredith. Yeah. You could take a tour of the cave. Did you do it? it. Did you do it? I don't know if I did a tour of the cave. I think maybe the cave was closed that day, but we went and saw the grounds and stuff and walked up to it. Okay. It is temporarily closed right now, probably due to COVID. It is pretty cheap, 12 bucks. So if you find yourself in Adams, Tennessee, I mean, check it out. I have family that lives um, near Greenbrier, I guess, that's like 30 minutes away. Oh, yeah. Well, if you do go, listen to this wise advice of Janine, a concerned citizen on Google Answers, who says not to bring a Ouija board because, quote, if you want to mess around with something that evil, do it where innocent people aren't harmed. That's selfish and spiritually dangerous. Okay, Janine, calm down. Thanks, Janine. Thanks, Janine. (laughs) sucker. I know. Get your head out of your ass, Janine. This, this spirit slash witch seems to know a fuck ton of information about what's happening in the future. Let's actually talk to it and get some insight. Actually, yeah. Janine. Thanks, Janine. And Atlantis is real, so. And I love that idea. I think I'm going to start yes, saying yeah. thanks, Janine, instead thanks, of Janine. Karen, because that is my, Karen's my mom's name and I feel bad. <laughs> okay. So the Kirby's have spent a lot of time with this cave and they have their own theory about the haunting and they don't believe that the haunting was directed at the Bell family, but rather the Bell family had settled on haunted land. Okay. And so the Kirby's think that the cave itself may contain some sort of portal where those in between life and death can pass on to the other side. Ooh. And they also think that is Creepy. why there is an Indian burial ground directly above the cave. Ah, okay. As the Native Americans may have been able to feel something sacred about that particular cave and may have buried their dead there in order to ease their transition to the other side. This also reminds me of that show, what is it called? Outlander? Oh, yeah! Where there was a cave and like... (laughs) Where they traveled through time in the cave, too. They did that. Oh, yeah, they did. Yeah. Caves, man. Keep out of them or go into them. Yeah. Yeah. No Spelunking. It's only $12. And they don't do it at night. So you can't go at night. Uh, the Kirby's have to sleep because yeah. Walter quit his job as like a businessman to live out his dream of being a farmer. Okay. You know, maybe none of this happened, but it's a fun story. It's a great story. I have one more thing. There's also a horror film that was based on the Bell family haunting. Came out in 2005 with Donald Sutherland and Sissy Spacek. 
Sissy Space Chick. How do you say her name? Spacek. Sissy Spacek. Which sounded pretty promising, and I um, was going to watch it last weekend, but while Andrew was trying to find it, I checked Rotten Tomatoes. It has a 14% rating. Skipped oh, it. Most horror flicks don't good. score well on Rotten Tomatoes. 14% is still bad. That's abysmal. That's abysmal. <laughs> did you even try? And I did read the, uh, the summary of the movie, and it basically completely buys into the incest theory. Uh, I'm sure there's other, there's more books out there. I'm sure Ghost Adventures has done something with the Bell Witch and whatnot, but mm-hmm. that is all I have. It sounds like I have another pit stop on my Tennessee adventure whenever I can travel freely again. I would totally go and just maybe to see a cave. If nothing else, you get to go in a cave. No, I don't want to go in the cave. I remember going oh. to the entrance of a cave and feeling how cold it was. Like the oh, air coming yeah. out of it was freaking cold, which was eerie. Um, and then I remember going to like this, it was almost, it was a school, but it wasn't a school anymore. They turned it into like an antique store, but there mm. were like two, maybe three stories and it was all full of like, it felt like artifacts. Oh, like, this was yeah. haunted too. Haunted artifacts. It was really cool. Yeah. Like just old, full of all old knickknacks and stuff. Okay. So Tennessee family, have any of you been... <laughs> to the cave the bell cave or have any extra information about the the bell witch please i would love that and i brought you 11 pages of witchy bullshit so i'm gonna just throw Mm -hmm. it over to sarah for astrology i'm probably done talking i'm not done talking but i'll let sarah that was a lot of um of the witchy bullshit i almost feel like we don't even really need a whole lot of filler for the astrology part no just go find a cave and get inside of it yeah, maybe yeah. maybe bring a protective crystal with you or something or something to charge. And, like maybe a phone <laughs> and a flashlight. Will you get cell service in the Actually, cave? maybe don't because like there's probably a lot of bats in there and bat droppings can can carry a lot of different diseases. Yeah. There could also be a bear. Oh, well there's that too. <laughs> There could be a cave bear. As a microbiologist, they forget about the macrobiology. Yeah. <laughs> the the bear, the big the big that will actually get me. All right. Yeah. So we've had a lot of things actually going retrograde. Yes, we not have. Not just Mercury, but at least on the 10th, so the day before this airs, Saturn's going to turn direct. So now it's finally, finally a good time to be able to, I don't know, if maybe you haven't this whole time, reevaluate your responsibilities, get back down to Earth. If the <laughs> pandemic hasn't already brought you to your knees to reassess yeah, your yeah. entire way of life, now's the time. Yeah. But what that kind of means is because now that it's Saturn's direct, your long-term goals, maybe in like your career, this can become a little bit clearer perfect for Perfect timing for me. Yay. And then coming up on the 18th, Jupiter's going to turn direct too. Ah, oh, nice. So that's, that's going to make us a little bit more comfortable. We'll be able to feel a little bit more confident and our little like local universe will feel kind of okay again. You might feel more lighthearted and ready to share and have fun and be just be more open with your social circle or romantic life. And then of course, also on the 18th, Mercury starting to turn direct again as well. Yay! <sighs> Deep breaths. Deep breaths. We're almost there. Jinx, <laughs> uh, man. So as we're feeling a little reprieve from Mercury retrograde, we still would love to hear from you. So please reach out on Twitter at True Trine, on Instagram at True Crime Trine, on Facebook at TCT Podcast. You can email us directly at truecrimetrine at gmail.com and check out our website. Hannah will get it updated I'm at in some a, point. I'm Probably in a, after retrograde. A, it's such a time for me right now. <laughs> but you can check out our older episodes as well at www.truecrimetrine.com. But don't you dare splavicate our character in those contents or we will show you the perspicuity in the constipation of the law. <laughs> Cut. I love it. That's a good one. <laughs> Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.